Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. I'd like to hand it over and hear, you know, who are you? Introduce yourself a little yeah. bit. Well, appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. It's it's exciting. You know, this is something that I've been thinking about and working on now for like three plus years in, in one way or another. A little bit of the origin story of how we got here, I guess. My background comes from investment banking. Started my career at Goldman in New York, working on public-private partnerships and then transitioned into transportation stadiums. From there, it's really been a career of investment banking, frankly, for about a decade and realized that I wanted to, to, to build something. After walking away from the deal after raising money, it, it kind of left a little bit of pit in my stomach and started down the path of doing this. And really what it started as was a packaging company for cannabis brands and, and CBD companies, as well as farmers, developing retail lines for them to capture some of the direct consumer margins, as well as doing branding and packaging for them. And in doing that, I realized that a lot of the CBD stocks of the farmers and labs that we were working with were going unused. And this was, you know, like I said, about three years ago, shortly after the 2018 Farm Bill. And I had amassed a large quantity of stocks and, and then went to go find somebody to process them and realized two things very quickly. One, they were the wrong kind of stocks that I needed. For what I was trying to do, we needed industrial industrial hemp, fiber hemp versus cannabinoid hemp. And two, there was no processors here in the U.S. So it led us down the whole path of figuring out the supply chains and building a team around it. And really, that's where we are today. We, we have a team from three different countries working with us and are in Europe as well as the U.S. Shout yeah. out to your team. I'm, I'm yeah. crazy about so many of your team members. So that's awesome. But you said a couple of things that are really interesting to me, you know, out of necessity, I keep hearing over and over again, like people have become processors or started mm-hmm. one branch of the business because of necessity, whether they were a farm and they needed to process or looking for an end product to secure their supply chain. Can you talk a little bit about what that journey has been like for you in yeah, in this transition and figuring out the do's and the don'ts and some maybe those that are doing the same thing as you, what advice do you have? Of Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think this goes into kind of like, in my opinion, what the really four pieces of a successful hemp business today is going to need to be able to raise capital successfully in this market, right? The first you really are looking at, you need to have a firm agricultural plan. And that's why, one, working with you and Global Hemp Association in the trials is also important. So we start to get a better understanding of the data and how it's going to perform in different soils and climates across the country. And really working with the farmers and developing that network, because for better, for worse, and unfortunately, recently in the past with hemp, it's been oftentimes for worse for the farmers. We need to do things differently in how we interact with them. And that means not just making promises of payment and paying, but paying as they do things, right? So they're getting reimbursed and not having to outlay their 
their own money as well as their land and time. And that's something that I think is really important. And we're working hard with Burt James, our agronomist, as well as the rest of the team and, and the community to to really come at this in not a brand new way, but just kind of not get bogged down by legacy things that, you know, in terms of contracting with farmers, that if we're able to raise the money and do it in a way that limits the farmer's risk and able, enables us to attract better farming talent, that's what we're going to do. So I think the agricultural side is very important too, is the infrastructure, right? So the first thing that I wanted to do was just find somebody to process it and make a product and, you know, sell the fiber. A very naive way to think about it. At the now, now I say it's naive. Back then, I didn't think it was. You know, I I think today the infrastructure is really an important part, and that's just starting to happen. And there's two steps of infrastructure, or really three. You have the infield processing, where there's been a lot of innovation. That I think still needs to have some. You know, the reading process is something that is not an unknown, but it's an art more than a science. So we need to transition that to database solution. And anybody has a solution to that, we would love to talk about that. And two is the harvesting and how you're going to lay it for reading. Secondary is the, the, the cortication, which is what we call tier one processing. That's really where initially we were anticipating we could stop and supply the market with that. That's not the case as much. So in our first facility, what we're looking at is going to a mechanically refined fast fiber for into a sliver for the textile industry and for us that's, tell me what, tell me what that piece is i understand after decortication what's sliver so a sliver is basically like a, instead of the vast fiber if you're familiar with how it's you know packaged coming off decortication and pressed bales yeah it'll be going through additional carding and perilous, yeah like a, yeah and a carding and combing they're a little different but the parallelization of the fibers is what it is. It's like a robe of unspun yarn, essentially. The spinners then take that, and the reason why they prefer a sliver over a you know, pressed bale is you have significantly less waste from a sliver, waste material coming off when they're doing their blending. So it saves them time and money, frankly. Awesome. For, for that, so it's really the infrastructure, agriculture, the two pieces. The third piece is innovation, and that innovation comes in many forms. I think that that is really an important piece of this, but that is the challenge. This is almost like a new type of business model. It's not new business model, but a, a, for VC it is, right? This is almost like a, a venture infrastructure play, right? You can't just invest in innovation without investing in the core infrastructure to get to the feedstock that you need. I think that that's, that right there is a conversation that you know, we see a lot of people that want to bring capital in, but they want to bring capital in after the this first infrastructure piece has been built out and understanding that you know, we only have a few years to stay ahead of the game. And you know, before too long, there'll be lots of other people doing this. And so now really is that opportunity, but the initial capital that's needed to build that to secure the supply chain. Yeah, that's really what it is. And I think you're going to start seeing more and more of that where they like the IP in terms of VC, traditional VCs like IP, but that IP is not as valuable if you're having to ship a bunch of air across the ocean in low bulk density, meaning low bulk density product coming in as your feedstock that is not even onshore. And yeah, we're getting there, but there's not enough processors. Like you could, we could have 10 of these things doing four tons an hour to 10 tons an hour across the country. And, you know, ultimately I think we'll be able to, to, to find a home for that material. 
There's just yeah. so many different applications for it that we're excited about. Okay. Well, okay. So there's some comments going back and forth about cost, right? And cost competitiveness. Yeah. Can we address some of this? Like one of them was specifically was, you know, that hemp is cheaper, you know, and yeah. right. Is it, <laughs> what does that look like? Right. And that's a conversation that people come in and say, well, then why would I invest in this if it's not less expensive? And what, what are some of those benefits? And when you talk yeah. about setting up or speaking to the investment side and raising capital, right? What yeah. is that? that message that bridges the gap. Yeah. And, and so I can tell you the the value to, if you look at really, and the reason why this is important is this is, this is, we, we got to have hemp, not just because it makes sustainability sense, which we can go into why it's more sustainable than cotton. And, Please, yeah. and the other piece of it is it needs to have a performance benefit. So hemp blended with cotton, the, the union fabric, if you will, is what it's called is has many performance characteristics that make it that perform better than a cotton only cotton garment and that specifically is the permeability of the shirt basically the breathability that is just goes to the structure of hemp versus cotton cotton has a you know a hollow core essentially to it where hemp is more solid and doesn't have that center wick but it is more porous. So what you're seeing is hemp will draw the moisture and disperse the moisture more across the garment and the fabric, allowing it to evaporate faster, enabling faster cooling of your body. So there's technical applications of hemp fiber even beyond that with its strength and everything else that make it attractive and why they're willing to pay more. With that said, in a lot of the applications today, it's not being used for that because the, you know, the quantities might not be into the level of it making that big of a difference but that's not to say it's not going to evolve to that once the infrastructure is there right now there's there is a lot of demand for domestic processed hemp from the textile industry and fashion industry specifically and that's exciting and i think that's one of the things that really gets us out of bed in the morning yeah well and that's what makes me so excited right is we yeah. i see a future of sustainability and profitability being in the same conversation you know, yeah, they're not they're not mutually independent. Definitely. And I think right. you're going to see a new type of business model coming out, I hope. And I think that where it's not going to be all digital forms of entrepreneurs, right? Like the most of the VCs you've seen in the past have been internet based and which is great, but I think we're starting to see a a cycle that's coming back to the internet can't solve real-world problems, meaning like you know, another app isn't going to make climate change or the sporadic weather patterns any better. But what we need are people who have the vision and, and a, not only create a product that is beneficial, but one in which makes the environment better. And it's actually a better product than what's out there currently using unsustainable inputs like petroleum or, you know, whatever else. You're speaking my, yes, this is what excites me. And as you know, with this recession coming, you know, that everybody's talking about and the shift of focus from, I don't want to say this out loud because I feel like I'm going to be shot. I live in like Silicon Slope Valley, you know, Silicon Valley area in Salt Lake and where tech is very dominant. And there's this shift and this focus, like you said, from the tech space to manufacturing and localizing supply chain and securing no, securing our needs, basic, our basic needs in rural areas or giving strength. And so that really excites me about our opportunity with hemp and that hemp isn't necessarily a standalone industry. It is a, 
it's a product that will fit into every single one of these additional verticals. And mm-hmm. I get excited that we have a solution to localized manufacturing for plastics or construction yeah. materials or, you know, any of them textiles, it gets pretty exciting. So. Yeah. yeah. And actually Bruce, I think had a question about linen first the ribbon decortication and it kind of it fits right into this. I, uh, frankly, yeah. I, I am familiar with them, but we've been so focused on sort of our product line and ensuring that we're getting that to market that we haven't dug that deeply into it. But what I will say is I'm very excited for things like this to come because like you were mentioning, there's a lot of different applications just because we're using decortication right now. Doesn't mean that in the future, we're going to have that in every single facility that we make, right? There's a lot of applications. I think that you could go straight to potentially even a hydrothermal type of reaction and getting to the either a pulp or you know, you know whatever type of you know potentially decorticating it through that methodology as well. There's definitely I think benefits for different applications, and that's really what we're going to be looking at in the future. This what Bruce is talking about really excites me for the type of of like you said, material that's being manufactured. There were some questions about, you know, can hemp be spun alone? Is it soft as soft as silk? And Not with soft this, as silk. <laughs> uh, I've seen there's a company that submitted a silk dress, basically, that was made out of hemp that competed and won in a beauty contest. Or, I mean, was it a fast fiber or was it a cellulosic synthetic? No, it was it was out of hemp. It was a hemp hemp dried, but I'm not sure if it was like, I don't know how it was spun, but I know, and I've seen some very soft. Um, yeah. Okay. So this is actually 50% hemp, 50% cotton. Right. And so what I was thinking, what I was thinking is if it's, there's, it definitely is possible if you're talking about like a lyocell type of material, right? So that would be where you're pulping it, dissolving yeah. it in dope and then extruding and doing it that way, which is technically still hemp. And, but it's it's not the the vast fiber. It's not the long right. It's not the long right. fibers. And and like I said, I'm not positive how they're doing it. But you look at you know capabilities of how it's being used, and then being yeah. spun by itself, and the different type of spinning that's required compared to the blends with cotton and the equipment used. But yes, it can be spun by itself, right? And that's yeah. where I see this opportunity in this, you know, ribbon decortication, because you get these long fibers that then can be separated and spun to a, like a fine replacement for fiberglass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that 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 to me is there's, there's so many different ways to, to, well, skin the, skin the, uh, the the stock, if you will. Yeah. Um, And I think there's, there's definitely merit to all of them. And for the way I looked at the way I looked at it in terms of finance of financing and trying yeah. to get to scale was I needed to go and eliminate as many of the variables as possible. Right. And so that meant kind of importing as much of the knowledge, know-how and business model from Europe. Right. Oh. When you're talking about getting things off the ground, like I said, you had the agriculture is a, is a variable infrastructure is a variable innovation to variable and then the big variable too is the offtake right so you have to go secure offtakes for all of this and 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 figuring out how do we address each of these different areas of the business and minimize the risk in all of it and so the way we did that was going with equipment that we were able to get production and spec guarantees on the primary and we're focused on 
what we call tier two processing for innovation in upcycling, not upcycling, upgrading the bass fiber and the herd into other other fibers, other products. That's the part that really excites me, right? This is that's where it really becomes unique. And I yeah. say, if we can get the raw material into the hands of these kids, they're going to change the world with it. And the technology that then will come in this tier two phase is or phase two processing and you know material science is pretty exciting. <laughs> that's that's where I get excited, giddy because we just don't know what's capable. We don't know what we're capable of yet. Yeah, no, I agree with you, and it's the what I hope is that you know the the primary decortication can act as because it is profitable in in the the environment we're in. I hope that it acts as like a economic buttress really to get additional natural fiber processing capabilities in the U.S. Right now, we have mostly you know we can process cotton. But in terms of bass fiber and other other fibers, natural fibers, there's very minimal processing capability. And I hope that hemp can act as the sort of economic buttress to help other things come to market as well. I really believe in hemp's values. Obviously, we're starting with hemp, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't other fibers that are going to be applicable and, and, and noteworthy to blend in eventually. But we want to master one first. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Sure. Okay. So when we before we move on, I want to talk a little bit about what the shift that we've seen in the industry, specifically around collaboration. Mm-hmm. But before we do that, can you talk to me a little bit? We we went, did a just brief overview of who's on your team. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to know a little bit. You know, how did you build this team? You know, what who who's your advisory board made of as you were looking to grow the company? And you know, what were some of those key things you paid attention to when you added skill to your team? Yeah. So I'd say. It's really just talking to as many people and networking as possible. I started this journey really focused on packaging, frankly, because that's what my initial business was. And we have a board member, an investor who is the founder and president of a large packaging company that uh, does a bunch of packaging for various brands and different verticals. And he introduced me to actually another board member, Julian Bobe, who is the found, co-founder and CTO of Cirque, which is a textile recycling company. Both of them are actually located in Danville, Virginia. Um, and that's kind of the proximity. Rick introduced me to Julian. And then Julian introduced me to uh, Klaus. Klaus is in the Netherlands and in, in Europe. He is, you probably all know him because <laughs> he is everywhere. And has been <laughs> instrumental in helping us to understand the market and really develop the the relationships both domestically, even though he's in Europe, he's done a great job that here in the US as well as in Europe and being able to get on the ground at the facilities that are doing it today and and see it firsthand. And then our chief process officer, that is a, uh, a is another story too that's actually good. He's an investor, but even more than that, he's my father-in-law. And so it's it's great to have him. He's been in, really instrumental as well as Klaus in Europe. He was in the U.S. setting up our intermediate mass, integrated master schedule and making sure that we're on track. He is the task keeper. <laughs> I need one of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Air Force fighter pilot turned DOD contractor. So it's uh it's been great to work with him and you know very I consider myself lucky to uh, and privileged to be able to have that type of knowledge and skill set so close. And then the advisory board, just they has been fantastic. So we have four people on there. First, we have Dr. Grab from Cornell on the agricultural side. 
The next one that's been really important for us is Marty Clemens. Yes. Yeah, she she is fantastic. She's she has introduced us to so many people, actually, including Bert. So Bert James, I mentioned earlier, is our agronomist, and and we're excited for to have Marty. We feel very lucky that she accepted. Then the next is Stephen Usen. He's a textile executive, works in recycling a lot as well as spinning. He spins with Geotex for Patagonia, one of his clients. And finally, we have Dr. Sandeep Kumar, who is the assistant dean and professor at the ODU Biomass Lab here in Virginia, who's been helpful in setting up different lab trials, et cetera. Very good. I love it. See, and that's, I know half of them. I'm so a great team and yep. very diverse. So talk to me a little bit about some of the key things you paid attention to when adding the board, you know, when adding your team. So the way I kind of looked at the advisory board, what I looked at is one, just are they a good person and do we enjoy working with them? Because I think that life's too short not to. But more importantly, we were trying to address certain areas. And then there are other times where people like Marty, that is just helpful in pretty much every area. It's like, that just is a no brainer. I think anybody would have made that decision. And for me, it's a matter of the advisory board. You go to them for specific advice in certain areas. So we want to have that expertise and the ability to tap them if we need to know something like, so for Instance, if it's a process-related thing in spinning or a question on fiber quality, Stephen Usden is a very logical person for me to dial up quickly. If it's something to do on agriculture, Dr. Grab, obviously. If, if it's on the biomass side or a, a chemistry question, I'm either going to call Dr. Sandeep Kumar or just call Julian because he also is a PhD MBA. So. Cool. See, and these are the kind of things like the diversity is so important. And it's something that I often have this conversation when people ask me or start to tell me about their business plan and they're missing an entire piece of agriculture or Mm -hmm. the processing, you know, the first phase processing. So yeah, I I appreciate the team. The one one thing I would say to, and you mentioned diversity, and I do think we do have a diverse team. Our our team ranges from three generations which in in multiple countries. And so we're excited about that. I I do think that we are really excited to to be able to add more to the team. And I think we, that's something that is really important in developing this industry is that you have all these different viewpoints. And and I know that sounds like a case talking point, but it's really not because you you look at the different perspectives that everybody has and none of them are going to be perfect, but you combine them all together and they're going to be better than the individual. I mean, you can only get that from having a true diversity in your team of you know, all backgrounds. Right. So I saw a, qu- a question come up earlier that I wanted to ask. Who are your end consumers? End consumers. Okay. So we are technically an intermediate good. So our end consumers will be the spinners right now for the textile industry or essentially bioplastic companies, blenders, or even construction companies. Manufacturers, right. people that are taking the the raw material into that end consumer good. That's right. You know, eventually we do have our goal is to to be in a co-branding position where what we bring to the table is beneficial for the brands to be able to leverage for them, right? So if you look at the supply chain, the brands have the pricing power and they capture most of the margins. So in order to really capture some of those margins. You need to be on the front with them. 
I mean, the way you do that is to by developing a unique product. And yeah, we all might be making the same type of fiber, but one can be done more sustainably, can be tracked and traced better. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but that's kind of the, the mentality. Gotcha. Okay. So I kind of want to shift a little bit, right? And talk about, you know, where you see industry going and the collaboration and the shift that we've seen in collaboration over this last year. Yeah. And then maybe like a three, five year projection for the company and the industry. Yeah. I think I'd say I'd be, I've been very pleasantly surprised, especially over the last several months. The shift, I think my, my talking points when we started talking several months ago, when we were talking about this, I said, or lack thereof for you know, cooperation in the industry. That's definitely changing. I think we're starting to see a lot more openness and willingness to kind of lift each other up. And not just, I know people were saying that before, and it was kind of all talk and people weren't actually collaborating. But I think IND, Hemp, and Ken are doing a great job at starting to facilitate a lot more of that actually too. And not to call them out specifically, but I think that's a good time to call somebody out for this is what we need. Industry needs. And Leadership. Right? Uh, this really is leading by example. And you know, an example you gave earlier is, you know, that not only, you know, working together, but how to not put each other out of business. Yeah. Like where is that? Where are those gaps and where are some of those, those pain points? And I, this is a conversation I have, you know, bring up all the time. What is that tipping point or that sweet spot for size of facility to maintain competitiveness as industry grows and scale and demand happens? And so that's going to be, that's, that's definitely a challenging one, right? Because to, it's also going to be very dependent upon end market. I think you're going to have some end markets and boutique sort of applications that could be very successful at the you know single farm level and and being able to produce sort of a, a niche product. When you start talking about scale and getting into large, and I'm just speaking about textile supply chains because that's what I know the most about, but you really need a lot more consistency than just even one facility would be able to provide because of the feedstock variety that you're going to be getting in terms of for blending purposes and ensure that you're going to be able to deliver the same stuff over and over and over again. Because if you're, for instance, you're going to be supplying somebody like uh, VF or, you know, so they make a canvas instead of being cotton, you know, if we can get the, uh, something for hemp that's a, that like that, they don't want to have any variation in their canvas and a variation in the hemp fiber because it's only coming from one facility, even not just one farm that would be unacceptable. So to, to, to attack these big, bigger supply chains that will have a tangible environmental impact over what they're currently using, that takes additional scale. And I think more than one facility. So even if you're doing 10 tons an hour in one facility, servicing 10,000 acres, that, that is get enough to get you essentially like a, a pilot run and do a, you know, a, a, a line with them a test. And then basically you're going to have to get it into formal rotation. You're going to be able to need to be able to prove that you can deliver the same product over and over and over again to their supply chain. And so that's what we're in the process of doing. I think it's, you know, you can start small and build up because right now you're going to be doing smaller runs of things anyways, as people start to adapt their own supply chains to incorporate hemp in it. So we're looking at four tons an hour in the first year in the first facility and scaling to seven to 10, depending upon, you know, the offtakes that are around us. We're, we're excited. We're in. When you say offtakes, offtakes of 
the but, first processing raw material that then will you guys like you guys are doing that secondary processing also that's all in that that's all in house so when i say offtakes i mean just okay. like yes. what the customers that we're going to be supplying yeah. the goal would be to to be in area where the the transit not too far that's not always possible <laughs> Come on. It's, i mean we're in the same country i consider that a win so yeah. <laughs> yeah that is a win right now really yeah because how many people that are that are in production are still importing just because of lack of supply right yeah yep definitely I, makes a difference do you I see, see comment? Ali was asking a question where we see him fiber and then textile industry after five years that is an interesting question because i think i think we are starting to see a lot more brands pick it up and make make explicit reference to hemp and its benefits and i think once we have a true supply chain here in the u.s that's only going to become more so right now it's a bit of a niche product for the brands because of the availability of it and they're only doing it at lower blend rates with cotton or whatever the other fiber is that's going to change, I think, as the market builds up. I think you'll start to see a lot more hemp included in woven garments. So, you know, not shirts, but like pants or slacks, something like that. And also, I think you'll start to see it a lot more in non-woven applications, which is still textile, not fashion, but textile. Sorry, my computer monitor is shaking all over the place. And I do think that it's going to be a larger percentage, but in five years, we're still going to be in the infancy. You know, I don't think that we're going to be, I think, you know, we'll be, yeah, I don't want to put predictions on how much hemp will be grown, but I don't think, I think it's probably a good amount, but we're not going to make the same mistakes that were made with cannabinoid producing hemp and, and growing excess biomass without an offtake. And that's why I stressed on that. And, and that's not to, to, to downplay. I mean, I think that CBD has a lot of great benefits to it. But it's, it's definitely caused some issues for, for the industrial side of things. Well, and reality is it's a small piece of this big market, That's right. right? It right now feels like the market, but, or to consumers, it feels that way. And to yeah. us in here are like, guys, <laughs> get up. You got fiber. I mean, I, I'm, I'm very excited about all the applications. And I think, you know, on the cannabinoid side, CBD does fantastic things. And I think it's going to continue to be a topic. You and I share the same opinions on uh, yeah. the synthetics, but <laughs> yeah. I think you know that that's going to work itself out over time. And really, I think what's going to work that out is legalization of marijuana, and you'll yeah. see cannabinoid producing plants and then industrial plants. Okay, so there's a couple of questions that I want to bring up. One, well, first let me let me jump on John's question. So textile fiber production implies wet processing. Do you plan on integrating decortication with wet processing and secondary opening and pre-carding? Yeah, so I'd say you're right. Some textile processing implies wet processing. You are able to produce a textile grade fiber like mm-hmm. this fiber and yarn that's 50% hemp, 50% cotton was only mechanically refined. So no wet processing. And for the purposes of sustainability, if we're able to do no wet processing, it's obviously a bit more sustainable. You're using less energy, less water, less waste. But yes, we do have secondary that's part of the innovation that we're working on. It's a hydrothermal process, and 
Julian Bobe is on our board of directors, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> cool. Okay, so next one is, you know, the comment about cotton yields and the need to find a substitute, right? And bridging this gap in the textile industry. Can you kind of speak real quick to the, like, as you as you are building business, right? And as we're looking to not penetrate, but work with the cotton industry, right? Yeah, work with. Yeah, yeah. How are you bridging that gap? And what is the conversation? What are the conversations that have been successful to move this forward, you know, so that it isn't a, a threat or a competition, but instead, you know, where do we find their need? Where have you found their need to collaborate? I think they realize that hemp is going to be around, at least from the conversations I've been having. And it is a lot more receptive than I originally was thinking it would be. They don't necessarily see it as a replacement, but as a compliment. Right. right. And I agree with them. I think that the more we go to natural fiber solutions over dinosaur-based products, petroleum products, the better. And I think that doesn't mean you're going to completely replace petroleum-based products, but it means you need more natural fiber. And cotton isn't the answer for everything. Though it is an answer for a lot of things. And it is more sustainable, I think. And that's to be quantified and fully in a life cycle analysis. But if you're looking at hemp, growing hemp and growing cotton, you, you in theory, need less pesticides, less water, and everything else. We know that that's the case. To, to say that it's an indef- or definite in every area of the country, we just can't do that yet because we don't have the answer yet. But I do think we are seeing a significant... No, no herbicides have been necessary. No pesticides were used this year for us. But, you know, there is fertilizer still being used. Yeah, so I think it is more sustainable. But in terms of replacing cotton, I don't think it's going to replace it. I think for us, what we see, and ultimately in our second facility, we'd like to be able to include cotton in our, our repertoire and just in, in blending. I think for us, that's really the, the next step because the union fabrics make so much sense. And I think that's where we're going to start seeing. And if we're able to produce that, it, it will do several things. One, it will enable us to service more markets. Two, it get, makes our end customers happier because they have less work and less waste. And three, and my big goal, and if you guys are familiar with Eric Henry of TS Designs, he, he yeah. also believes this and had a call with him last week. If we can get away from the spot market, right, in cotton, it'd be better for everybody. This is going to take a long time. Like, it's not like you can't just go into long-term contracts. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, this is the thing, right? We don't, it's true. But yeah. <laughs> this is where, like, reality is in the industry, where we're at and, you know, the hard work that we have to put in and the people that are behind us, like, yeah. where they're invested. This is not a get-rich-quick scheme. Mm-hmm. This is a, long, a long-term shift. Yeah, definitely. And I think we're talking about how do you win the cotton companies over? And if you look at it, it's one, if you're trying to shift the way the farmers, you interact with farmers, the first thing that you would want to shift, in my opinion, would be to get away from, you know, the spot market for them, because there's a lot of issues and uncertainty and and planning, frankly, for them for that. And if we have the right partners that do enough volume and we can get comfortable, we are able to enter into long-term contracts with farmers and with offtakes that would enable us to provide a lot more certainty over five years. The financial markets exist so that we can hedge out the 
cost of inputs and the fluctuations in inputs and outputs. So on the date that everybody signs the the contract, they would know what they're going to get. It's going to cost something. It's going to take time, but that's that's ultimately the goal is to be able to provide a direct to farmer really relationship that gives them a long term contract that they be able to build a business around. And that's a that's a long term goal for us, but something that we're very passionate about. Well, and in in the long term, right? It secures your supply chain. It mm-hmm. secures that relationship. And this really goes back to less transactional and more relationship. We've got to take care of their needs and make sure that their bottom line and that this crop makes sense for our farmers, yeah. right? The way that we're producing or the volume that we're producing or what the production is and paying attention to that, that it isn't a, Hey, go and grow this. And who cares about whether or not you're successful? It's yeah. that, yeah, we've got it. So I appreciate that work as well. John made a comment. He said he's he's well aware of of CERC process and wasn't aware that it's commercially tested for de- controlled gumming, degumming. Is it? It I I can't share just right now. Can't share too much more. But yes, it is. It does work and degumming as well as going to a dissolving pulp. And awesome. it's the methodology of what mechanism and how it's done, whether it's in a batch or a continuous fashion. And frankly, I think that's going to be a, a big differentiator. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So Ben, can you please share the yarn count and the strength of the cone that you shared behind you? Yes. Yeah, I definitely can. What I'll do is I'll send over the the specs on it. I'm trying to see if it's in here because I don't want to give you guys the wrong one, but it's not. So I'll send you guys over the the, the spec sheet for this. Or Mandy, I'll send it to you and yeah. maybe we can get it distributed out. We can tab it. Sure. And I want to give a shout out too to all of our members and sponsors, Fiber X for being an incredible sponsor on our fiber trials, fiber grain or fiber variety trials. And so I really appreciate everything you guys are doing. And then also to IND Hemp, we mentioned them earlier, equipment companies, formation ag. AgriLead, you guys are fabulous. And so thank you very much. If anybody else is interested in sponsoring any of our trials and or getting involved with the association, please don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to meet with you and find me at Mandy at globalhempassociation.org or on our social channels or website. There's a contact us link. So don't hesitate. So yeah, heads up. I guess that's all I want to say. I want to meet with you guys. I'd love to connect with you. And then also, Ben, I'd love to interview some other people on your team. Yeah. I'd love to bring them on, highlight what they're doing, you know, share the knowledge. I think that just like you said, this need to collaborate and mm-hmm. you know, rubbing shoulders next to people with that are doing the same thing as you that we would previously view as competitors is what's going to lift us and prevent us from making the same mistakes. And yeah, it's really what drove my passion to get into this. You know, I saw extraction companies making the same mistake over and over again, and they didn't have a resource or a place to go. Or if they did, they weren't rubbing shoulders with their competitors to say, did that work? You know, when did you hire? When did you bring somebody in house versus outsourcing or whatever those questions were? And so, yeah, I appreciate your feedback on that. Yeah. Thank you. This is, I mean, you, you've done a lot to, to bring people together, especially even over these trials and your recent farm visits. It's, uh, it's exciting to see it's very fun. Like it just makes me giddy inside that we're doing this, you guys, yeah. and we collectively did this together, and we're doing it to raise the you know, raise the bar, and more importantly, set a foundation for future decisions. Right? Without good data, how do we make good business decisions? And so I think that that's where it becomes pretty pretty impactful. You had mentioned earlier something about technology. I can't remember what statement you said. You want to touch on some of the tech and some of the tech, you know, 
advancements or AI you guys may potentially be looking into? Yeah, so I think it, it, there's multiple parts to it, right? So if you look at the different aspects of the business, you can look at tech for the agricultural side of things. And to me, there's a lot of interesting potential there. You know, we're talking 10 years down the road. I think you can see a lot of automation in bales, picking up baling, picking up of bales. You know, I think all of that can be done autonomously eventually. But in the immediate term, what we can do to better optimize our supply chain in the process is collect more data and collect it in a way that does not rely on the farmers to take samples and one in which we can access from anywhere. So that's really what we're looking at is remote soil monitoring and climate monitoring, moder- monitoring so that we can have a better indication of what's needed for the soil, pre-planting, as well as when do we start planting. And so that's really on the agricultural side, the first step. The second step on the processing side and the infrastructure is going to be determining quality of stocks before decorticating, right? So you, you have a an analytical way of doing it versus just the art of snapping, tasting, and smelling the stock. Because that's where it's at. (laughs) Yeah, literally. I mean, we were just out, Klaus was a couple weeks ago in the field and looking at the different ways that Europe is doing reading right now. And that's really it. It's an art. So that technology, I think, developing around crop management or sorry, stock management, once you have it in in your warehouse is going to be important. And then the the secondary piece on the infrastructure before you get to new processes is really quality control. That's something that I think we can adopt from other industries and we don't need to reinvent the wheel there. There's a lot of systems that are available via contracts, basically, and that can step in. And I think, John, you're hitting on the right thing. I think what processing is going to be the the windows, if you will, of this industry. It's going to be kind of the bottleneck where a lot of the the processes that go into it, that's ultimately going to be the one that I think has the most impact on on the end market that will allow you to develop a knit garment and have it basically be a drop in replacement to cotton. And that's what a lot of people are looking for. And I think that's great. But I also think we need to make sure that we're actually doing something better for the environment, too, when doing that. And so that's where, you know, we plan on doing a full life cycle analysis of our wet process to ensure that it still is better. I mean, we can say for sure it is with with the mechanically refined. And I'm fairly confident we can with the wet process. But before we go to market and and make claims like that, we want to make sure we have that data to back it up. Yes. Well, well, and I think that that goes back to this data piece, right? Somebody said yesterday to me, well, what industries are lobbying against you guys right now if this is so great? (laughs) I think that the data piece becomes critical when we look in the future to claims that we continue to put out about hemp and being able to say, well, look, what we actually have is this peer-reviewed data that, and data that can withstand consistent peer review, right? And, Mm -hmm. and yeah. What we don't need is people saying hemp is this, solution for everything that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> right and i i say like hemp is this you know solution to so many so many pieces it is yeah it's but... not the end all be all even though i eat breathe and sleep it so yeah. many of you would probably think well she thinks it is no i mean look we're we're working with farmers and we we well one we we won't work with a monocrop farmer that only wants to farm hemp that just for us doesn't make sense for many reasons but well, imagine the disease pressure you're going to start seeing. And yeah, the, I mean, know, even this- even like 
from the environmental standpoint, the soil wouldn't be good yeah. for anything else. But from a business standpoint, too, they have a bad year that you, you're out of a significantly larger portion of your feedstock than you would be otherwise. I forget. What were we talking about right before that? I, I got soil health was where, where I lost my train of thought just then. <laughs> there you go. You too, huh? <laughs> I was like, oh, Jennifer made a comment about soil health. I don't remember, Ben. Do you remember what else? We were talking about the fiber, the, oh, sustainability. Model. Oh, yeah, the sustainability of it. That that was really that was really it. I mean, I think it's a matter of getting the farmers to grow multiple crops is important and rotating those crops is important. So really, it's a matter of developing the relationship with the farmer and ensuring that they understand what your aim is and 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 really lay out a clear plan to help not only grow a successful crop, but leave their land in a better position than when they started working with you. Yeah. Well, it, this is where I become passionate, right? Is that we have that chance to change practices. We've got a reason to, you know, add more, you know, to trans transfer to a more regenerative practice or an organic practice. And hemp gives that solution to many farmers, especially adding it in and being able to control the weed pressure. So it's exciting. And I am not a farmer. I mean, what I've learned is farmers speak and listen to farmers. And so I really appreciate the conversation and you know, building an agronomist, having an agronomist on your team, because it changes the dynamic and the conversation. And yeah, I think it's another really important part. Do you have other comments? I saw you were looking at some comments. Do you have some? No, I was looking at what John said. You can pull that Hi. one up. Yeah. High value for the herd. Yeah, no, agree with you. And that's what I was saying, right? So the wet processing that's not the focus is a replacement for cotton. And I would say right. more, before we say that's what we're aiming to do, we need to have the data that says it's actually a better for the environment than, than cotton would be. I'm of the mentality that if it's something that you're looking to get for a performance reason, it can't just be using hemp because it's more sustainable. That's not always going to last. And I think, you know, having the a business model that's predicated on that is difficult in the long term. So really, I don't see it as a replacement to cotton at all. I think what we're seeing is there's a lot of different applications that you can use for the CERC IP that you mentioned. One in that is definitely on the upgrading of herd and other you know, short fibers and talking about working with the farmers just because we're processing hemp and talking about pulp. Really, the big thing is non-tree pulp, right? So we can use corn stovers sugarcane bagasse, straw, you know, all, all these things that these our farmers in our network are also growing, we have the ability to use the leftovers in some instances and in, into a product using that wet process, whether that goes into packaging in a molded pulp format, the easiest application, or going down to a dissolving pulp or even a you know powdered cellulose, which has a gazillion different uses and anywhere from medical to cosmetics to food to anything nutrition like this is a yep. whole that's a whole piece we hardly talk about that's that right can, and then like, and then you also have the, the what right now would technically be a byproduct of the wet process the lignin i think you're going to see a lot of additional uses for that as it starts to develop when we have more of it right now there's definitely a lot of it from trees right but non-tree sources of it is fairly limited well okay so 
uh, I'm going to scroll really quick. And I think Klaus was actually on this call. I'm not positive, but really? we, I got invited to listen in on some students' presentations from Montana. And one of them had extracted the lignin, you know, put together a business plan for the lignin. And that one was, it blew my mind. And mm -hmm. I didn't realize it was also on the commodity and traded. Mm -hmm. you know, and then now the number of pastes and glues and sealants that have been created with it, it's, or that is, are using lignin. And so, yeah, this is just one more piece of this whole plant that we need yeah. to be paying attention to that gets exciting, especially when it's waste product or a potential you know, waste materials. I mean, it's it's the glue essentially that holds it's the it's the the natural polymer that holds the cellulose together in hemp in any plant really. It's what gives it rigidity. So, you know, I think there's really no waste, at least in our processes. Everything we found, even to the dust, right? We have a home for it. So there's there's no waste coming out of our facility. Um, and then one last question is how great is the capital investment to a farmer who incorporates hemp into a rotation? This is probably a major concern and mo must be addressed to change farmers practices. Yeah. So I'd say it, there's depends who you're working with and what the practices they want you to abide by are for us right now, the farmers upfront expenses are the allocation of their land. We're providing seed and then also, you know, incremental payments as the seed is planted or they go through and do some maintenance through the through their fields. So, we, you know, we make multiple payments to the farmers to cover costs because it is a new crop. And in addition to that, in the first couple of years, you know, we're, we're looking and targeting at a uh, net return to the farmer per acre, a guarantee, essentially, no matter what happens to the crop. and you know, this is something that I think you'll see evolve over time. But in my opinion, right now, what we need to do is work with farmers that are, well, one, knowledgeable in farming practices in general, who are open to transitioning to a regenerative model. And and three, are, are willing to ag allocate some of their prime land to this crop. Yes, it can grow in any land, but for fiber hemp and especially certain uses, there are there are benefits to it being in, in certain types of soil and certain types of land and, and it can do have some detrimental impacts if you're in, you know, land that hasn't been tilled in several years or something of that nature. When I say not tilled, that's in the sense of they're not using a regenerative no till model. That's in it just hasn't been planted in years. Okay. Any other questions or advice? I guess anything else you want to touch on, Ben, before we're right at an hour to start to wrap up? Do you want to add? Yeah, actually, Jennifer had a question following on that. Now, this will be a good way to wrap this up quickly. Yeah. $2,000 to, to rotate hemp. That is a good question. Um, I think it will be dependent upon, again, your processing partner. I think a lot of that is able to be done on the, if you're, processor is also contracting they'll likely have the licenses that you can use and farm under but that is state by state and something that needs to be addressed but frankly if you're talking about doing it long term and and are going to be supplying any meaningful quantity then that's something that your processor will definitely work with you on well and i want to touch on this really quick there are two campaigns out right now value the seed and hemp exemption that are working to help mitigate this, right? Both very different perspectives of the industry and what value, like I guess where the value focus is for 
that exemption from that expense. You know, hemp exemption is really if you're growing for fiber and grain, then you, you know, mitigate some of those expenses or costs. And the other is if you're buying a certified <laughs> seed, yeah. right, a certain certified seed, both have pros and cons. I'd love to get into it someday with somebody if they want about where, you know, where market is and what's valuable. I think, like I said, both have, have value, both just serve very different aspects of the, of the market and the industry. So Jennifer, I'll give you some info or if you want to connect, I'd love to send you over some links on both of those, because I think that is something to consider just like you said, if we're going to scale the industry, how do we how do we reduce costs at the farm so that it is affordable? And I think the infrastructure, you know, the, the equipment and whatnot, what we're seeing on the harvester side is there'll be either two things will happen. One, it'll be provided and used in a group of, of like a co-op type of arrangement, even though it has a lot of words. I just mean, you know, sharing the equipment and funded that way. Makes sense, um, right? Yeah. Sure. And, and reducing costs so we can buy bulk seed or more. So and what I would like to see is that's a viable business model in and of itself. Having somebody come and be the logistics of harvesting to us would be a huge benefit. Having a because we're we're doing all that internally right now and have Bert having to look at who's harvesting when, et cetera. If we have a company that that their whole job is to ensure the the operation of harvesting, we know that there's enough margin in there to make it help possible and profitable, and you know, you can depreciate the equipment in one year. So it's, it's uh, also a tax benefit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One other thing Don said, and then Jennifer, yes, you're, I think you're exactly right as far as, you know, sharing the license and covering that for farmers, but it is an added expense. But as we get it up and going, keeping that expense away from the farmers often is, you know, it's beneficial. It helps us help you secure your acres. But how about getting the military to convert to everything made from hemp? I want to give a shout out to the military. They do have a call for, I don't remember what the te- what the term is that they use, but they're basically sampling supply chains and building supply chains to build out of hemp or make military uniforms or plastic missiles yeah. or that. Yeah. That is, and if that happens, and I would love to see it happen because it makes a lot of sense in terms of why using it over other sort of synthetic fibers, there's a lot of combat reasons that make sense. But I think for us, it's really exciting because if they were to do it, they have to buy it from the U.S. And that means that the industry needs to be able to provide it. Right now, there's no infrastructure to do so. They are investing in that supply chain like the military has put out requests and there are members of global hemp association that are working on military contracts i think it's fantastic i love it yeah so uh, that's what's really exciting is like those things are happening but they are the reality is you know if that most recent report that report that came out from new frontier data that claims that we have fifteen thousand total acres of hemp fiber growing this year that, that puts into perspective where we're at compared to where we need to be real quick. That sound, yeah, I mean, that sounds a little even high of hemp fiber specifically for this year. Well, how much of that is harvested now with floods and droughts? And, and how much of that got above knee high? <laughs> <laughs> hey, more than half of our trials. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I, I agree. We're very small in terms of this, the scale, I think. I'd love to see us get to, you know, a million acres like a lot of people have talked about. I think we're a long way off from that, but that's not a bad thing. I think, you know, the we're doing the industry is being built up and, and it's being done in a slow, methodical way. And if we all collaborate, I think it'll be great. Awesome. 
Jennifer's right. RFI. See, I was going to say that, but <laughs> yep. I, I was going to say RFP to request for proposals. But anyways, and then I made a comment earlier, please go to our, if you're interested in supporting either the association or our, our trials, any of our research that we're doing, you can go to our friendsofhemp.org website and buy a Friends of Hemp t-shirt. They are made out of hemp. They're 55% hemp and 45% organic cotton. And so go support, wear a t-shirt, post it, share about it, or share it and post about it. And thank you very much. Dave, thank you very much for joining as well today. William, thank you for, for joining in. And Ben, we'll be in touch. I yeah, please. Feel, I was trying to figure out how I can share my email address in the comments, but I can yeah. figure it out. That's right. We can do it right here ben, in the comments. Let's go ahead and add it. Yep. Ben at FiberX.eco. Again, if there are any other questions. Oh, how about Sprint and Boeing? You're speaking my language, Christopher. Oh, it's fiber with a Y. <laughs> and no, the millennial thing fiberx.eco dang it i knew that too <laughs> you know, one track mind but boeing is a perfect product you know prospect especially for biocomposites or that yeah. you know, long fiber fiberglass replacement fuels it, I mean, and i'm excited for the natural fiber aspect of the composites mm -hmm. as well especially in automotive and, and racing for many reasons, I think it's going to have a lot of aer aerodynamic possibilities with new flex patterns, and but more so, it'll lead to less red flags because there won't be carbon bits flying everywhere if we can get more uh, natural fiber. Well, I appreciate your, your your time today, and thank you for having me. Oh yeah, we'll do it again. I'm, I would love to continue to have you. We'll highlight what you guys continue to do. And again, if anybody else needs anything, don't hesitate to reach out to either Ben or I, and I'll sit close on them. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think we should talk to Klaus next. He would be fantastic. Listen, I've been trying. This is your show. this is your call out. We just put you on the spot. Klaus. <laughs> yeah, he he, yeah. he is extremely knowledgeable, yes, uh, and I think probably knows more people in this industry than anybody. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, well, thank, thank you so, so much. much. We'll talk soon. Have a good Have one. A good day, ben.